When you think about the comings of Jesus Christ, and I said it that way on purpose because realize that when we study God's Word, we find that there are three, really three comings of Jesus Christ, if you can put it this way. There are two comings to the earth and one coming in the clouds. Now think about it, to the, to the earth, he came the first time to the earth to die on the cross, pay for sin, rise again, and then send back to heaven. He comes a second time to the earth as the King of kings, Lord of lords, sets up the kingdom. He'll come another time, which is in the clouds. It's not to the earth, we call it the rapture, it's hard Arpazo in Greek, which means a snatching out. He's going to come get people and take us off the face of the earth. So when you think about that, his first coming was to die and rise again to the earth to pay for sins. His second coming to the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule the kingdom and rule the world. And then his third coming, which is, we'd put it this way, coming in the clouds, which is actually in between, is the rapture and he's taking out the church, the body of Christ. So that's where we are. And, and if we see that, this is what's kind of amazing. On the second missionary journey, Paul writes to first and Thess- uh, two letters to the Thessalonian church, first and second Thessalonians. And look at this. First Thessalonians deals with the rapture, and second Thessalonians deals with the second coming. So those two books have that information in there. Now, remember, he didn't stay very long at the, the church at Thessalonica, and yet he taught them in time events. People say things like, well, you know, you, you trust Christ and you learn the basics, and, and then when you've been way down the road, you start talking about end times. Paul taught end times at the very beginning. And I think end times is something we all need to know because we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, I think it's very important. Paul writes in First and Second Thessalonians, he said, Second Thessalonians, he says, Did, don't you remember I told you these truths when I was there? So he told them these things. Well, let, let me rem- help you remember the easy way to remember Paul's letters, okay? So this, think about this. On his first missionary journey, he wrote one letter, Galatians. On his second missionary journey, he wrote two letters, First and Second Thessalonians. We're look at those. On his third missionary journey, he wrote three letters, First and Second Corinthians and Romans. And then on his trip to Rome, and we, it's not, we don't call it his fourth missionary journey, but he ended up going to Rome, and while he was in prison in Rome, he wrote four letters. So one, two, three, four, and that's Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. After he got out, after he got out of prison, he wrote First Timothy and Titus, and then when he got put in prison again, and he wrote his final letter, which we call Second Timothy. So that's a way to remember, because if I said, how many letters did he write on his second journey? You would say, well, two. You may not remember what they are, but you can remember it that way. So first le- journey, one letter. Second journey, two letters. Third journey, three letters. Trip to Rome, four letters. And then after prison, he, he did that. So that's a one way to remember that sort of thing and put, be able to put it together. Well, Paul has been in Athens. And if you remember when he went to Athens, he looked around and he was bothered by all of these idols. And he began to tell them about Jesus' death and resurrection. And of course, these Epicure people and the Stoic people, they all went, no, no. And they brought him to, to Aragopas, which is Mars Hill, where they would discuss things. And they asked him to tell his message. And he was smart enough to say, well, when I was walking around your city, I saw a statue to the unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. And he told about Jesus and the death and resurrection. And when he told death and resurrection, some people said, wow. And some people said, we don't believe any of this mess. And so he left. And if you look at chapter 18, where I told you to look, he's leaving Athens and he's going to Corinth. So it says in 18.1, after these things, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. So he went to Corinth. Let me just show you this. This is a map, 
And of course, this is his second missionary journey. And he's been, he'd been all these places. Remember, he went to Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, he went to Berea, went down to Athens, and he goes to Corinth. And while he's at Corinth, he's going to write letters to these people right here. And he stays there for a while, and we'll talk more about it in just a second. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1. It's a wicked city. Corinth is a wicked city. And it says in verse 2, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So he came to them, and because he was the same trade, he stayed with them. So he meets these people named Aquila and Priscilla, and they are Jewish people, and Claudius had ran all the Jews out of Rome. He said, you can't, if you're Jewish, you can't stay in Rome. So they left, and they went to Corinth, and Paul met them, and because they were the same trade. So if you remember, even though Paul was educated, even though he was educated as a Pharisee, even though he was, like, brilliant, all Jewish, all Jewish men had a trade. They learned a trade so that they could learn how to work. And Paul was a tent maker. So Paul was a tent maker and a great theologian. And so because he was the same trade, he worked with them and stayed with them. And then he, he would go and look at verse 6 of chapter 18. Uh, he's gone to the Jews and to tell them about Christ. And they resisted in blasphemy. He shook out his garments and said, Your blood be on your own head. I'm clean from now and I'm going to the Gentiles. So Paul switches right then and from trying to go to the synagogue and teach Jews because they were rejecting him, and he decides he will go to the Gentiles. It says he found this, this man named Titus Justice. He had this house. It was right next to the synagogue. So he decided that he would start teaching there. And if you look down at verse 9, here's what God did. Because here, here he is in this city, Corinth, which is probably the wickedest city in the world at that time. I mean, if you just think about even the letter to the church at Corinth, all of the problems they had, and part of it was because where they lived and what, what, what their culture was. And anyway, he's right there, and here's what God does to him. The Lord said to Paul in, a, in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer. Don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Go on teaching. Do what you're supposed to do. I am with you. I'm with you. And then he says, and no man will attack you in order to harm you for, now watch this, I have many people in this city. In the midst of one of the worst cities in the world, he says, God says, I got a lot of believers there. There's a lot of believers there. So don't be afraid. Do what you're supposed to do. So verse 11, Paul taught for, and stayed there for a year and six months. Look at verse 11. And he sailed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God to them. Wow, he is amazing. Now, while he was there, he wrote two letters, and we saw one of them last week real quickly, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but he wrote 1 Thessalonians, and he wrote 2 Thessalonians. If you remember last week, and I'm just going to put this up, he wrote 1 Thessalonians, and it said they had believed, he wrote them and said, you had believed the message. In fact, verse 13 said, for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of mere men, but what it really is, the word of God, and it's the work of those who believe. So he said, thank you, Thessalonians, because you believe the message. And then they were going through persecution. He wrote and said, be, be imitators of the church of God in Christ that are in Judea, for they got the same suffering. And so he says, you're going through the suffering. Then he wrote them to live godly lives. And that's where he really got into the sexual thing, for he said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And you remember in Corinth, Corinth was a sexual city. In Corinth, there was a temple. And in the temple, there were both male and female prostitutes. And part of some of their worship was to go up there and have sexual relations. And so he writes and says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, 
That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. Each of you know how to possess your own vessel with sanctification and honor, not lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Don't live that way. And we saw this last week. And then he ended by reminding them about end times. And as 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, we told you that there was a teaching going around that Paul understood that some people said that if you died before Jesus came back, if you were a believer and you died before Jesus came back, you, you missed it. You missed everything. And Paul writes and says, no, 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 I, I want to tell you, that's not right, no. And then he told them by the word of the Lord that Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with him in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll always be with the Lord. So he says, no, 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 just because somebody's died, God, they're coming with him, and their bodies are going to be raised, and you're going to be changed, and we're all going to be together. He says, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And that's a great comfort to all of us because we know we have friends and family and loved ones and people that have died, that were believers, and their bodies are in the ground, but they're with Jesus. And when Jesus comes in the clouds to get us, they're coming with him. Their bodies are going to be raised. We're going to be changed, and we'll all be together. That's First Thessalonians, and that's dealing with the rapture. That was one of the issues. When we get to Second Thessalonians, which is the other letter that he wrote, he, there's all kind of different deals here. Paul is encouraging them to grow as believers in the persecution. Now, he's writing again because the persecution hasn't stopped. And he says, we ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, because your faith is just growing and your love is growing. And he says at the very end, he says, as a result, we speak proudly of you. And he says, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions, which you endure. Listen, it it hasn't happened here yet, but it's coming. And we're going to see if we're going to be able to stand when the time comes that they're going to begin to persecute us and say what we say is hate speech. And when we teach the Bible, it's going to be inaccurate or misinformation or whatever they want to call it. And are we going to stand or not? They, he says, I thank God that you're standing strong in the midst of the persecution. And that, that's what was happening. Then, the, uh, uh, let me put this up. As Paul was persecuted, so were the believers in Thessalonica. Then he writes the issue dealing with the second coming. And he talks about the man of sin and about the the tribulation and that. Notice what he says. Let nobody deceive you in any way. For it will not come first until the for he it will not happen this time of tribulation. Because see, somebody was teaching them that because they were being persecuted, it was the tribulation and that they were in the tribulation. And they'd say, are you sure? Yeah, oh yeah, this is the tribulation. Paul said, no, no, no. No, no, no. Don't let anybody trick you. It's not the tribulation. First of all, there's got to be the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's coming. He's called the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself as so-called God above any object of worship. He takes his seat in the temple of God and decides he's God. Now, listen, he says, you're not in it yet, because when that happens, there's going to be, you're not going to ever be in it, but he says, because we already talked about the rapture, but just want you to understand this. You're not in this because this is going to happen when this man comes, and he claims to be God, and he puts his idol up in the temple. That's called the abomination desolation. Look what he says here. Don't you remember, while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? So Paul taught about the Antichrist and the second coming and the kingdom and the tribulation and all of those things. In fact, he says this later on. He said that then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by his appearance of his coming. What coming is that? As Jesus' second coming to the earth. So in 1 Thessalonians, he writes about the rapture because people were afraid that you miss it. In 2 Thessalonians, people were telling him, you're already in the tribulation. He said, no, you're not. 
that the tribulation ain't going to happen until the main man comes, the man of sin. He's going to claim to be God. He's going to be all this, and God's going to come, and he's going to kill him when he comes and be the end of it. And uh, so he then ends, and that's the chart, which we all saw. That, that, that's his first coming, second coming, coming in the clouds. So 1 Thessalonians deals with this right here. 2 Thessalonians deals with this right here. And then he says, I want you to grow and obey. And so he says, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold to the traditions you were taught. When he says traditions, he's meaning the word of God, which either by word of mouth or by letter from us, now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal, eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. He said, listen, you guys, staying strong. Staying strong, keep obeying, keep growing. And that's really powerful. And then he ends with this. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that person so as not to associate with him so he'll be put to shame. He said, if people aren't obeying the scripture, don't associate with them. We're not, some people will say that means kind of kick them out of the church. The idea is there is to tell them that you can't live unrighteously and be connected with the body. It doesn't mean they lose salvation or anything. And what does it say? So they'll be what? Put to shame. And when they get put to shame, they'll say, we better get our act together. And then they bring them right back into the body. That's what happened in the Corinthian letter. And we'll see more as we go through it. So, wow, powerful, powerful truth. So, We've seen 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. I want you to put yourself, Paul's now in Corinth, and he's going to be there for a year and a half. He's going to be teaching. And, and you can picture him going into the synagogue in Corinth, and some people believe him, but most people not. And they run him out. And he says, okay, that's it. That's it. I'm through with you. I'm going to the Gentiles. And so he found this guy named Titus Justice and said, can I use your, your little assembly place to meet and it happens to be right by the synagogue, and the guy says, oh, of course, and he does that, and he stays there for a year and a half. Now, while you're there, you get word that people in Thessalonica think that loved ones are going to miss out on the rapture, so you have to write First Thessalonians. And then while you're there, you hear that people in Thessalonica are being told they're in the tribulation now, so you have to write Second Thessalonians. And the Bible books are for us. How do we know about end times? Think about this. How do we know end times? Well, you say, well, there's the book of Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Matthew 24 and 25 and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and the book of Revelation and the book of Jude. And you start looking and you put it all together and eventually you say, okay, this is the flow of the end time events. And that's why one of the reasons we have First and Second Thessalonians is not, for, for us, we're not, we're not going through their persecution right now. We might, but there have been people all over the world who have for, for years and years and years gone through this. But what an encouragement to know one of these days Jesus is going to come in the clouds and what's going to happen. Well, I hear people saying this all the time because we see, our, we see our culture and our world. We see our foundations of our nation crumbling right before our eyes. And what do people say? I'll be glad when Jesus comes back. That's right. That's right. When the persecution starts, you know what you're going to be saying? I'll be glad when Jesus comes back. And he said, don't worry. Dead in Christ rise first. We heard loud remain. Be caught up together. We'll be together. Don't worry about it. I have had people say things like, I hope we don't go through the tribulation. I said, well, the tribulation is not for the church. It's for the nation of Israel. And we're going to be gone. Then they got their thing. But don't worry about it, because remember, none of that's going to happen until there's a man of sin and he puts his idol up in the temple. You won't be around for that. That's the tribulation, and then there's the second coming. Great truths. 
Well, what happened? Paul had been in Corinth for about a year and a half, and he decided to go back. Because remember, he's on his second missionary journey. And you could have, what if you're the home church of Antioch and Paul's been gone a long time? You know, that first journey didn't take that long. Now they've been gone a long time on the second journey because they went to all those other little towns and everything, and then they stayed a year and a half in Corinth. So what does he decide to do? He decides to head home. And look at, at, at chapter 18, verse 18. He says, now when Paul had remained many days longer, he took leave of the brothers and sisters and sailed away. He decided to go on to Syria, go on back. And Priscilla and Aquila went with him. Remember, he'd been working with them. Paul first had his hair cut at Kenkaria, for he was keeping a vow. Paul was keeping a vow. He kept a vow. Some people say, did Paul do anything with the law? Of course he did. He's a Jew. I guarantee you he thought about Passover and unleavened bread and, and the Feast of first fruits, and he knew how all that tied in with Jesus. I mean, Paul, so Paul cut his hair at Kenkaria because he's keeping this vow, and then he came to where? To Ephesus. And he left them there. He said, you, you two, Priscilla and Aquila, y'all stay here. And he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. He taught there. And guess what they wanted? What would you want if Paul came here? You'd want Paul to stay, wouldn't you? Hey, hey, you're Paul. Man, we are so, we've heard a lot about you. And we're so glad you're here. But look what happened. They asked him to stay longer, but he didn't. He said, I got to get back. I've been gone for a long time. This is my second missionary journey, and I got I to gotta get back. But, but if possible, one of these days, I will come back to see you. If possible. Because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. You never know how long you're going to live. You never know if he's going to ever make another trip. You just never know what's going to happen. Well, what happened? He landed at, at Caesarea, and he went down to the church, and then he went back to Antioch, which is the home church. So now we've seen Paul's second missionary journey. And with no further delay, let's get the third missionary journey. Because if you look at Acts 18, verse 22, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And then verse 23 says, And having spent some time there, he left and passed successfully, uh, successfully through the Galatians and Pyrenean and strength. He's leaving again. He's going on his third missionary journey. And look what it is. I'm going to show it to you. And, and just and I know it's not, it's a little bit too, it's, it's, it's a little bit, but he leaves here, goes back through where he's always gone, goes all the way over to Troy. And, and what happens is he gets right here and he stops. Now, this is the rest of the journey. And he's going to go all the way up and come all the way back and then come all the way back down here. But right now he stops at Ephesus. What did he tell them last time he was there? Uh, they wanted him to stay longer, and he said, no, but maybe sometime I'll come back. He comes back. Look at verse at chapter 19. Look at verse 1. It so happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to, there it is, where? Ephesus. That's where he's going to stay. And what is so amazing, look at this right here. Uh, while Paul, he came to Ephesus, this is, Paul taught two years in Ephesus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul, on this, sec on this third trip, stops again like he did in Corinth, but instead of a year and a half, he stays what? Two years. Now, if you're the home church, you think, he could be dead. We don't even know. We had not heard from him in a long time. We don't know. He may send some information back. He may send somebody back. Who knows what Paul was doing? But he spends... Two years, look down at, verse nine, uh, at chapter 19, verse 10. 
This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let me go back for a second. This is where Paul is. Have you ever heard of some of these, these uh, places? Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossus, Miletus, Pergamum. Have you ever heard of those? You know what? Some of those are the seven churches in the book of Revelation. While Paul was in Ephesus, the word of the Lord went that throughout that whole region and people came to know Christ. And it wasn't just in Ephesus that people came to know Christ, that the word of God spread all over that region. And what we would say is the seven churches in Revelation. And, and by the way, see this little place? That's called Patmos. You remember that? Does that ring a bell? When Paul, when, when John got into trouble toward the end of his life, they put him on the island of Patmos, and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. So we're seeing this part of the world, and so think about it. Paul is here, and it's not just that he's teaching people in Ephesus, but the word is spreading throughout that whole region. So amazing. This took place for two years, and the word spread everywhere. Now, many of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing. The people all started coming together because Paul was teaching and, and people were saying, man, we got to live right. And it says, so the word of the Lord was growing and mightily prevailing. It was amazing. While he was there, while he was there for those two years, he wrote First and Second Corinthians and Romans. Now he wrote First and Second Corinthians because they sent word to him what was going on in Corinth. And there was a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> And so Paul had to write 1 Corinthians, and then he got word back, and so he had to write 2 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians, we're going to talk about it, not, tonight, not this morning, but we'll talk about it soon. Uh, they, had, they had every issue you could ever name. All you have to do is name something bad that goes on in a local body, and then they were doing it. And, and so we see that. But then he also wrote Romans, and he'd never been to Rome. And yet he greeted a whole bunch of people in the church in Rome. How did, they, how did the people in Rome hear about Christ? All roads lead to Rome. People that Paul led to Christ and Peter led to Christ, they went to the capital city, they went to Rome, and, and there's a church formed. And Paul wrote that letter. And it's probably, what people call it, probably one of the, the foundational letters of the whole New Testament. And that some people say that if you could only have one letter, one letter of Paul's, it would be Romans. And we'll talk about it when we get to it. But I want to give you, with just in the time that we have left, something that happened while Paul was in Corinth. I mean, while he was in Ephesus, I'm sorry. So watch, this says this. The city of Ephesus worshipped the goddess Diana, which her other name was called Artemis. So just remember this. Diana and Artemis, the same person, it's the same goddess. She's a goddess. And it says, about that time, Paul had been teaching there two years, about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. The way is Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing, it was bringing no little business to, his, to the craftsman. Okay? This man took silver, made images of Artemis, and sold them. And everybody was wearing them because an Ephesus was a temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis. It was a gigantic temple. They believed that Diana, Artemis, fell out of the sky, fell into the ocean, came up out of the ocean, and came on shore, and she's the goddess of the sky and the sea, and 
they worshipped her, and they had a big temple there. And everybody had all these little deals. Well, when Paul started telling people about Jesus, and they began to believe in Jesus, they said, we don't need these things anymore. And all of a sudden, this guy is saying, our business is falling off a lot. People aren't buying our, our silver stuff made for uh, Artemis. And so they got kind of mad. And so they got this big riot coming and all this, you know, everybody got, got coming together. And they all came together in, this, in one of these big meeting places, one of these amphitheaters. And Paul was going to go and they wouldn't let him go. So most of the believers said, you are not going into that place. These people are crazy. They're all screaming and hollering and everything. And they wouldn't let him go. And some rich people that believed in Christ called Asiarchs, they sent word to Paul and they said, don't you dare go into that amphitheater. Don't go in there at all. And so when they got, when the, what was going on in there was all the people got in there and, and this Demetrius guy was telling everybody that Paul and these Christians were cu cutting in on their business. And so they started a big riot. And it actually says that many of the people were there and didn't even know why they were there. They were just shouting. And it goes on to say that when they recognized that it was a Jew, they brought some guy in there and said a single outcry arose from them and they shouted for about two hours. What did they shout? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They keep saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. Would you get tired of that after about two hours of that? You would. And so they, they keep going all this great is, you know, Artemis. I always say Diana because that's who I really studied it when I first learned it. But Artemis is another name for her. And finally, since this is, a, this is a Roman city, by the way. So is this good or bad that they've had a riot? It's bad for Romans. So this Roman official comes in and finally quiets down the crowd and says, we're going to get in trouble for this. First of all, if these men have done anything wrong, the courts are open, file your complaints against the law, against the court system. If not, leave them alone and break it up. Go home because we're going to be in trouble because of this riot. And... So they stopped this event. The main man, sort of what we call the, the Roman official, quieted the crown and told them to leave. So this is where we are. And here's what we're going to do next week. I'm just, well, it won't be next week because next week is what? Easter, yes. Okay, so the next time after that, we're going to look briefly at First and Second Corinthians and Romans. I'm going to go through them so fast you will never believe how fast we go through it. You will never believe it. Okay, and then the second thing is what did Paul do on his way home? What did he do? Of course, you could read ahead if you want to find out. Anyway, so let me give you some applications before we break. Let's be ready to share our faith and teach the Word of God. Think about it. Let's be ready to do that because that's what Paul did everywhere he went. He evangelized and taught. Think about it. There's evangelizing. You know, when we think about making disciples, what's the two parts of making disciples? Evangelism and training. Evangelism is proclaiming the, the grace message and telling people about Christ, but the training part is teaching people the Bible. So for us, for us in this room, you have to know two things. You have to know the gospel and be able to be clearly present the message of salvation. And you have to know the Bible because you can train people. And who's supposed to train people? Who's supposed to train people? You are. Yeah, me, yeah, me too, but you, all of us. It's not just one person training, it's all of us training. And that's what we're supposed to do. So let's be ready to share our faith, teach the word of God. Let's evangelize us, do what we're supposed to do. Let's understand the end times because Paul taught that. 
And of course, in our church, we've taught the book of Daniel, we've taught end times, we've taught Revelation, we've taught the seven last things in Revelation, we've taught all kind of different end time studies. And so just remember, the comings of Jesus, he came in the clouds, uh, that's to get us, he comes to the earth first time, second time, if you remember, first time he came to die and to pay for sin, second time he'll come as the King of kings, Lord of lords, that's to this earth, this rapture is in the clouds, he comes, takes the church out, seven year tribulation deals with the nation of Israel, then there's the kingdom, and he rules for a thousand years and all of that. So understand the end time events. And listen, if you could just take this part and say Jesus came the first time, died, and rose again, sent to heaven. Now we're in the church. Next thing's rapture. rapture. After rapture, there'll be the tribulation. And then after the tribulation, Jesus comes back, sets up a kingdom. After that is the great white throne judgment and eternity. If you got that, you've got the flow of the end times. You may not know everything, but you've got the flow of the end times. You can put the Bible together. The third one is let's expect opposition to the grace message of salvation. Listen, the, the true grace message of salvation, faith alone in Christ alone, is foreign to most people. It's foreign to many believers. When you start telling people you just believe in Jesus Christ and he gives you eternal life, you're trusting for eternal life, they say, no, there's more to it. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to walk down an aisle. You've got to make him Lord of your life. You've got to ask him to come into your life. They've got all kind of things they tell you that you really need to do other than to believe, in which the Bible says 165 places in the New Testament to believe for eternal life. So uh, when we say expect opposition to the grace message, I would expect it. Wherever Paul went, he got opposition, and, some, and we're going to find that there are a lot of people who believe it's works for salvation. There's more to it than just believing in him for eternal life. So I always say that when somebody says there's more to it, I say, so when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life, he didn't give him enough. He didn't tell him the truth. He didn't tell him what he had to do. He didn't tell him enough message. Is that the salvation message, or is there more to it than that? That's the message. Faith alone, Christ alone, eternal life. It's that simple.